Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Hello, we're back for part two. (laughs) Um, So I I wanted to start off by acknowledging um, that in public health, a lot of the leaders in public health, whether it's um, formally in the field or not, are Black women and um, and Black women in public health and beyond have been advocating for a lot of the, um, the changes that we're now realizing need to happen uh, as a society. They've been advocating for these things for years and years. Um, and it, I, it's a symptom of how we refuse to listen to black women <laughs> generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think COVID has really um, kind of shown a light, like very, <laughs> very starkly shown a light on just how, um, how these racial disparities happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we are now collectively as a society, like having conversations about health disparities that we really weren't having, um, you know, in the, in the years prior. So I, I wanted to ask you about um, public health as a field and how, I mean, we like to think that we're not racist <laughs> because we study racism um, because, and we're like, oh, well, we, we study health disparities all day long. Um, we can't be racist, and that's just not the case. Um, so what does public health need to do better in terms of understanding Black communities, Black people, Black culture, Black health, what wellness feels like and looks like? Um, and yeah, what is what are we missing? <laughs> because, um, you know, we've been doing trying different things for years and um, and we are obviously not understanding that the needs of the community at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, of course, let, let's try to solve all of it in, in a few minutes, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, big question, Bella. But I, I think overall, what I would say is uh, listen to uh, community. So public health, I mean, I literally was parsing this with a physician on a call last week um, as we were planning for a vaccination pop-up. And um, she was saying, um, white physician was saying, we need to, uh, we just remember we need to, um, you know, um, let community uh, lead. And, um, and, and so I you know, gently, uh, or maybe not gently in the comments of the, the uh, Zoom said, um, you know, I, I actually beg to defer. Um, community was already leading. We already, we already were out there doing this. Uh, we were already doing um, and working on getting asymptomatic testing when public health was saying, 
No, uh, we were already working on masking when public health was saying you don't need to mask. Um, so there, you know, there's all these things that public health does that are based upon um, both politics and what is um, feasible from the materials that they have, or, or mm -hmm. the or the people or the people that they think they have. Um, they need to stop. They need to listen to the community, redesign the system um, in following community, uh, and additionally, uh, stop parsing out the the numbers thing. You know, this is it's not about you know did you serve. 500 meals, um, you know, uh, hold up, let's rewind. What was in the food? How was the food packaged? How was it delivered? How was it related? How was it received? Um, you know, what were the, was the food uh, congruent to the community's taste buds um, and habits and practices? Um, so, um, all of those things need to rewind, right? It's not just a, a quantity and a number. There's a whole other rich description that comes with any kind of intervention. Um, but the way I'm thinking about it these days is that um, we have to impact uh, the um, determinants of health. If we don't impact the social determinants of health, then you know, you know, giving 50 grocery bags doesn't matter. Um, and so everything for me has to come with an aspect of opportunity to employ the community. Um, the dollars go back to the community um, and stay in the community. Mm -hmm. And so job training um, opportunities for um, uh, education that's not just ground level, mm -hmm. um, that is all the way up the chain um, and that starts earlier, you know, education that is accessible and um, and meets community where they're at and um, is not putting all the, the black kids in, you know, in the special needs uh, classes. So, you know, if you can't impact transportation, you can't impact job training, you can't impact education, you, you can't impact incarceration, you can't impact um, what's happening in the community in terms of community violence, then, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what, um, oh, okay, you have five community clinics. Well, you know, somebody may not want to go to the community clinic in their neighborhood because they're not feeling loved and cared for. So they'd rather not go to that community clinic and they'll go to a CBO and get a, a health screening. Well, that's great, but it, if, unless that health screening uh, matches to long-term healthcare, then that person is still left out in the cold. So we've got to really stop with the hyper um, fixated intervention mm -hmm. uh, and create holistic uh, services that are not about, um, you know, government standards of a diagnosis, because yes. that just keeps people sick. Yes. Um, and instead, we need to look at what is the wholeness of the person, the wholeness of the community, the wholeness of the family, um, and um, make sure that there's resources that stay local, that stay yes. in the community, um, and that are um, changing the actual um, um, poverty level within the community and within individuals, uh, and within the, you know, the materials that are in the community. All of those things matter. 
Mm -hmm. public health, you don't need uh, uh, violence prevention in communities where you have um, access to public parks, playgrounds, um, and you have a lot of resources that are put into um, the into the community in terms of education. You don't need it because you've got prevention, right? And now we're flipping it. We'll put money into uh, into public safety and you're not putting money into prevention. Mm-hmm. Is this making sense? Yes. Um, yeah. And I think a, a huge part of that is investing in mental health mm-hmm. and um, especially for youth. And mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's something that, um, you know, culturally we, we really write off a lot of the mental health struggles of youth as just mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. hormones and just part of growing up and mm-hmm. um, and all of the things, but there's there's so many um, there's so many young people that go through a lot and 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 go through those things in a really invalidating environment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that can make it so much harder to yeah, manage absolutely. those things. Um, so how how do we approach that um investment in in setting kids up for you know a positive mental health Mm -hmm. experience in their lives and and if they do have things that come up being able to cope with those things and being able to um to manage them on their own terms and that that sort Mm -hmm. of thing well i think it's it's a combination of education and tools Mm-hmm. Uh, and opportunities. And so, you know, at Rafiki, we're doing uh, a program, right, a project right now with, um, uh, for instance, uh, Dr. Brenda Wade, who uh, wrote the book that's actually coming out with a new, new, uh, a new version of What Mama Couldn't Tell You About Love, Healing the Intergenerational Legacy of Enslavement. Um, and uh, the, so she came on to talk about intergenerational trauma. Um, we had 20 plus youth. We, we paid them to come on. Um, it, was their, it was their job. We are doubling down on valuing what they know about mental health and making sure they get that education. Yes. Um, so they could, um, they could come, they could listen, they got paid. Um, there's, they are dealing with so much. So then we created a part two. Now we just had part two. Now we recognize we need to create part three. Um, because they're just really dealing with so much. So it's, you know, the stories, but it's also creating the toolbox to make sure that they, they understand themselves and they have tools to use when those lows come up or those challenges come up. And then it's also um, destigmatizing mental health and also working with the whole family to recognize um, that it's something that you don't play with. Um, and yeah. that, you know, you're saying, oh, that, that kid is bad or that kid has a bad attitude or that kid is, you know, just trouble is ignoring that maybe that kid is actually really depressed or sad or upset or, you know, having challenges. Um, and so all of these things really um, impact, um, in, impact youth and, and their mental health and it needs to be able to be normal to say, hey, um, or normalize, whatever normal is, right? But it needs to be common for somebody to say, hey, yeah, actually, I, I talked to a therapist for you know, a while because I was feeling sad or uh, because 
wasn't getting along with my mom and she doesn't understand me. And, and, you know, I was feeling really stressed out, you know, or whatever it is. Right. Um, and that way um, it just normalizes that this is just another tool. This is just another person. It doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you bad. It just means that you need additional support. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. Um, and, you know, I struggle with as, you know, someone who's not specifically focused on um, psychology or being in the clinical setting. Um, like how, <laughs> how do we on a community level um, address these stigmas and, um, and, and lack of conversations that are happening about mental health in communities of color if we're not in that community? So you had a lot like part four, five, and six. Um, I know. But, <laughs> I know. My um, <laughs> questions are so long. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, well, first of all, um, I mean, I think obviously anyone um, who's not in the mental health profession can still, you know, do reading, can still learn. Um, all of those things are true. Can still have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's important. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, circles, there's conversations, there's dialogue. So those kinds of spaces are important. And then knowing when, wait, I don't know anything about that. Let me make sure that you reach out to a professional because I don't actually know about that. So let me, or I might know something, but I'm not trained. So let me make sure, you know, I have referrals. So yeah. finding folks in the community that are, um, culturally congruent um, and, and uh, uh, culturally competent to engage with, with the folks that you're talking about, um, I think are really big pieces. Um, so that there can be some mirroring of uh, and relatability around people's experience. So I'm not sure, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um it's one of those things where it's like, this isn't my problem to solve, mm -hmm. um, but I want to support those efforts, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I wanna be able to do it. And, and let, I'd love to like really dig into the term culturally competent because it's, it's really um, prevalent in fields like social work and public health and, mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> you know, behavioral and mental health. And it just does not feel like enough um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. culturally. Well, and, it, and it's it's really not. I mean, I hesitate to even use the word I did, but I, as you notice, I was saying culturally resonant. Mm -hmm. or, congruent. Or, or congruent. Yeah. You know, and that's really the way that um, with a shared, um, shared community, a shared history, mm -hmm. uh, a shared embodied experience. Yeah. They're sort of, the ways that I, I talk about it, um, but there is sort of this other cultural competence. I mean, you're not always going to have a match in terms of the person's background, but it doesn't mean that someone can't have done all of their work, right? Right. And that they're still not going to miss something because everyone does. But the and that's the same same thing with with therapy across the board um, is that you're going to miss something, you're going to mess up, um, right. and oftentimes. The work is in the repair 
um, the, in, in the relationship. And so um, what you, uh, staying humble and listening is like, is absolutely the, the most important thing um, in that situation for folks who don't have that shared background. Um, and then also if you have the shared background, to not shortcut it and think that you know somebody's experience mm -hmm. based upon that because everybody is the expert in their own experience. They're much yeah. more, you're an expert in your experience, I'm an expert in my experience. Like nobody outside of you is going to know you better than you know yourself and know what you need more than yourself. And right. that's really crucial also. Yeah, and I think there's also kind of a notion that if you, um, are someone of the same race as someone or the same gender that you understand all of their experiences, but there's so many differences among, mm -hmm. you know, age, um, mm -hmm. educational experience, class, um, class uh, the uh, way sexual, you orientation. Up, sexual orientation, gender identity, um, all of those things. you know, so ability, ability mm -hmm. so many, I mean, all of, all of the things, right. Um, and so, I mean, that's a good question too, as a mm -hmm. society, as a culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we're we really trying to understand, there's so much polarization and divisiveness happen and there, we're moving farther and farther away from each other. Um, so how do we collectively focus on listening <laughs> um, and listening in a way that protects our own safety um, and well-being, but also allows us to engage in uncomfortable conversations that are really necessary. And let me just tease out so I understand, what do you mean when you say our own safety? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think there, there needs to be a piece of validation for if someone has a really traumatic experience or they might have some level of PTSD involving um, the person that they're talking to or, you know, a person with similar traits or, um, or behaviors than someone that they have been traumatized by, then they might not be, they might not feel as psychologically safe or as um, as able to engage with that person or that topic. So you mean the therapist or the client? I'm not talking about therapy anymore. I'm talking about mm -hmm. generally um, mm -hmm. talking to people who are different from us and mm -hmm. trying to learn and genuinely learn when it feels so uncomfortable and vulnerable for a lot of people to do that mm. um, but I just yeah. also wanted to validate that um, if if talking to a certain person is going to be really activating for you or triggering is the word that a lot of people use um, then that might still not be you know a healthy situation to be in but how do we how do we seek out those uncomfortable conversations Hmm. Okay. So I think I'm understanding. So, I, I mean, I think there has to be some rules of engagement, so to speak. Right. Um, and some, some boundaries of, of what, where the conversation, how the conversation is being held uh, for, if we're engaging in those difficult dialogues um, or let's call them growth, um, growth and growing 
um, comfortably uncomfortable is how I put it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think we have to be relatively comfortable enough because otherwise learning and, and change and, and listening can't happen. Um, so within that, you know, within that space, there has to be some things that are attended to. And if that can't happen, then, then it's just not going to happen. And it's not necessarily worth anybody's time to do that. So I think you have to be able to, um, have, um, some relative, um, relative sort of structures in place, um, in order to have some of those conversations. Um, and at the same time, I feel that, um, there's a book, um, and specifically a chapter in it, um, uh, around white fragility. And mm -hmm. so if that's the case, then that person often, you know, if white fragility is the reason someone's not comfortable, then they need to do that work first. Right. Yeah. Um, because that's not going to make it safe for the people that necessarily that are trying to make a point with them. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there has to be some of that handled first. There's certain, in some cases, people need to handle their own isms, you know, before they start to try to engage in these cross-ism dialogues, um, I think, uh, because it, it, it can be toxic. And at, at another point, you know, that is the work of some people. They absolutely love that work and that's what they want to do. They want to have those dialogues and they want to engage. Um, and so with appropriate boundaries and appropriate, um, as we say, you know, rules of engagement or um, whatever you like to use, um, you know, um, practices or um, opportunities, uh, however the words you use are, um, we want to uh, make some space and some, some time that is set aside to really have that. Because without that, those dialogues, without that time and space away, um, oftentimes the, the dialogues become shortcuts of just trying to be, to get your point across and not listening. So you need to really have the time um, and the investment in just hearing um, and then in sitting with. And it's kind of um, Hooksian or Prairian praxis. Um, kind of space. So listening, action, reflection, listening, action, reflection, listening, action, reflection, you know, it, it's a, it's a whole process. It shouldn't be shortcut. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, and in terms of like doing that work on your isms um, on your own, I think it's, it's, the natural instinct to, if you have a negative thought or um, you're like, oh, well, you know, that was, that was kind of not cool. Um, the thought that I just had or the behavior that I just did, um, like instantly with <laughs> white fragility, a lot of feelings of, oh my God, wait, no, I'm a bad person. I feel guilty. I feel horrible. And you just say, okay, no, I'm not going to engage with that now because I don't mm -hmm. want to, I don't, I mean, we naturally avoid pain um, mm -hmm. as human beings. We try to avoid pain as much as possible. Um, but I think it's so important to just dive in there and, and experience that and sort through it all and get messy and get grimy with it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you're, I mean, all of us have our isms. Um, 
our little amount of guilt and shame and our little emotional pain about feeling like we had a bad thought is absolutely nothing compared to <laughs> the action, the pain that are caused, that is caused by those, um, those actions and those, um, those systems that mm -hmm. create those uh, Right, and it becomes an excuse, frankly. It does, it really does. Uh, and another reason to avoid it because I feel bad, I feel shame, I'm, uh, I'm the, you know, and so, or then blaming um, the victim of your thoughts. And so um, really the work around being an ally, whatever your work in that allyship is, is to really, is to really, you know, number one, acknowledge this is what ever, this is, this is the water that everyone is swimming in, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we understand from our own positionality, uh, whatever that is, uh, you know, where our areas of privilege are, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's education privilege or light skin privilege or, um, um, you know, pretty or beauty privilege or, you know, uh, ability, physical ability privilege, whatever those things are, right? There's areas of privilege, age privilege. Um, so within all of those, there's an area where you have, somebody has privilege in some, some kind of way and acknowledging how does that lend you, um, in what areas might you have inadvertently harmed somebody else um, with, with that, or how can you use the privileges that you do have to, to the areas where somebody else doesn't have? Right, and and also just accepting the fact that um, part of having that privilege is that we have blind spots and that we're often not going to see those things. And so sometimes it does take someone else calling it out and or calling mm -hmm. it in or however you mm -hmm. choose to go about it. Um, someone else to point it out before you notice it. Mm -hmm. And that can feel, it's very natural for people to get really defensive. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But often that's the only way to learn for some, mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. things. And it's just important to acknowledge that that's, that's part of that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so, it is. so important to do. And, and I think that what's also true, hopefully, is in that call out culture is to not just call it out and forget about it, but mm -hmm. to say, look, we're in relationships. So, okay, this happened. So now let's move forward if we can um, and, you know, have that relationship so that, you know, it's not just cancel culture. This yeah. is canceled. That's canceled. That's canceled. Yeah. Because if we keep doing that, then we don't, there's no opportunity for growth. Um, there's just an opportunity. It's, it's just uh, another form of um, uh, separation. So yeah. let's let's figure out actually how to um, have rep, have reparations, have restorative justice or transformative justice, or um, opportunities for listening and mm -hmm. healing spaces. Yeah, um, yeah, and focusing on the action um, rather than the person, mm -hmm. um, but also still holding people accountable. Absolutely, absolutely, accountability is incredibly important. Yeah, and also, you know, figuring out, well, what are our values? Do we share values? Do we want to continue in this relationship and, and this work? Yeah. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for coming. I want to close us out with one last big question. I know mm -hmm. I'm 
queen of the big old questions that no one knows how to answer. Um, Go ahead, queen. But I, <laughs> thank you, queen. Um, fellow queendom. Um, I'm going to title this vi- this podcast. Sorry, I'm getting into YouTuber mode. I'm going to title mm-hmm. this podcast um, Black Health Matters. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, what would it look like for our government and society to truly value Black lives and Black health? What would it look like? What would it look like? How would that exist? How would that mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it goes back to the answer that I was giving you earlier, right, around, um, you know, reparations, number one. Reparations doesn't have to be, um, you know, everybody gets a million dollars, right, um, because that's frankly not, not necessarily going to work, but what it could do is um, we could say, okay, uh, student, student, no student loans, your student loans are forgiven, um, access to free healthcare, um, access to excellent healthcare, you know, Stanford opens up or UCSF or wherever. And there's a special program that is designated for the, um, the advancement of, um, black health and, um, eradicating health disparities in two generations, say, you know, we could, we could, say that we could do that, right? There could be all these different ways that we could focus on that. Um, We could also focus on flipping the script in the environments um, and making sure that environments are the same. I mean, in San Francisco where I live, um, while I'm in a a neighborhood that has both projects and billionaires, (laughs) I would say, you know, the Presidio is pretty close by. And during COVID, people have literally had the streets blocked off. So they've had the entire park to themselves, pretty much. You know, so what if we did that in other parts of the city, you know, and said, okay, you have your whole park. Um, And in fact, actually, you have housing that is not on toxic land, Mm -hmm. You have schools that are not next to to freeways so that you don't have asthma, you have food that is um, from your food bank, if we're, if we're still having food banks, that's top of the line organic, um, a free range products, not the, not the dredges, mm-hmm. not the, the, you know, dirty dozen full of um, all the chemicals and petrochemicals and all of the preserved foods, right? So right. we would have a whole different situation where um, soup to nuts from you know, preconception to end of life, um, health, black health was valued and anti-blackness would be rooted out, anti-black racism, racism would be rooted out because that is a, a large cause of, um, of health disparities for the black community. So yeah. all of that would be fixed, <laughs> and be, uh, be charged. So, you know, people, call a Karen or a Brian act, they get charged for it or they get a ticket. Um, you know, so you change your legislation, you change your rules, you change your access, you change your values, um, you change where the resources go, um, you change your policies um, and um, 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. What if we had a Karen rehabilitation program (laughs) 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 where they're required, they get the fine for being a racist, horrible person. I mean, um, someone who's learned to have committed learning and growing. growing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They get fined and they have to go through a program of education and um, learning about (laughs) racism and interacting with people of color and um, in positive ways and um, they they get all better. Karen is cured. <laughs> yeah, so that has to happen, but that can't come on the backs of black folks. That's, exactly. Right? Yeah. And so, no, I, I'm, so I'm mostly I know, talking, but, but I think yeah. it but it does need to happen, right? Because yeah. anti-blackness needs to be wiped out in order to not have the impact. Right. Right. And we need to do that work. Um, all of us need to do that in ourselves um, first and foremost. Yes, well, um, that is going to wrap up our, um, our podcast for today. Do you have any parting words or things you want to leave with our listeners? Um, well, I mean, we've, we've covered so much, but I, I just want to say to folks listening and hopefully this is our learners and growers and uh up and comers you know this is your world uh grab it transform it love yourselves love each other uh, and you know there is there there is no boundary when you have um love and you have passion um to make that change. And so get in there, you know, do it. Um, This is your world. We're counting on you. We love you. um, And we want to see this world change. Um, And I think that the thing to remember is that we um, we all have to do our part. We can't keep waiting for somebody else because you are the ancestors wildest dreams. So we need you and we want you to to do your work so that you can have a beautiful world. And also, I think the other part of that is we have to have accountability for the world that we're giving you, which, you know, also has all these things. So, you know, that part breaks my heart. Uh, And the other part is that, you know, you all are brilliant and you can do it. So does that make sense? What I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Thank you, cheerleader. Um, <laughs> appreciate it. Um, yeah, I love that. And Anc- we're the ancestors of our dreams. We are, you are the ancestors of wildest dreams. Yes. And we are also the enactors of the dreams of our ancestors. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Boom, spitting facts over here on the podcast. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Lassar. Thank you so much, Bella Catalano. (laughs) Congratulations on your up and coming graduation. Oh, yes. And also, um, farewell to the listeners of this podcast. This is my last episode. I've really enjoyed this so much. Um, So thank you for listening and putting up with my uh, long-winded questions and rambling. (laughs) Um, I hope you got something out of it. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number, 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, shack, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care.